This is the Internet Multicasting Service. Harper Audio presents actor David McCallum reading from Bram Stoker's novel Dracula. In this section, Dr. Van Helsing must end the existence of a dear friend who has been turned into a vampire. Dr. Van Helsing's Memorandum to Jonathan Harker. 5th November afternoon. I am at least sane. Thank God for that mercy at all events, though the proving it has been dreadful. I took my way to the castle. The blacksmith hammer which I took in the carriage from Veresti was useful. Though the doors were all open, I broke them off the rusty hinges, lest some ill intent or ill chance should close them, so that being entered I might not get out. Jonathan's bitter experience served me here. By memory of his diary, I found my way to the old chapel, for I knew that here my work lay. The air was oppressive. It seemed as if there was some sulfurous fume which at times made me dizzy. Either there was a roaring in my ears or I heard afar off the howl of wolves. I knew that there were at least three graves to find, graves that are inhabited. So I search and search, and I find one of them. She lay in her vampire sleep, so full of life and voluptuous beauty that I shudder as though I have come to do murder. Ah, I doubt not that in old time, when such things were, many a man who set forth to do such a task as mine found at the last his heart fail him, and then his nerve. So he delay and delay and delay, till the mere beauty and fascination of the wanton undead have hypnotized him, and he remain on and on till sunset come and the vampire sleep be over. Then the beautiful eyes of the fair woman open and look love, and the voluptuous mouth present to a kiss, and man is weak, and there remain one more victim in the vampire fold, one more to swell the grim and grisly ranks of the undead. There is some fascination, surely, when I am moved by the mere presence of such an one, even lying as she lay in a tomb, fretted with age and heavy with the dust of centuries, though there be that horrid odor such as the lairs of the Count have had. Yes, I was moved, I, Van Helsing, with all my purpose and my motive for hate. I was moved to a yearning for delay which seemed to paralyze my faculties and to clog my very soul. It may have been that the need for natural sleep and the strange oppression of the air were beginning to overcome me. Certain it was that I was lapsing into sleep. The open-eyed sleep of one who yields to a sweet fascination when there came through the snow-stilled air a long, low wail, so full of woe and pity that it woke me like the sound of a clarion. Then I braced myself again to my horrid task and found, by wrenching away tomb-tops, one other of the sisters, the other dark one. I dared not pause to look on her as I had her sister, lest once more I should begin to be enthralled. But I go on searching, until presently I find in a high-grade tomb, as if made to one much beloved, that other fair sister which, like Jonathan, I had seen to gather herself out of the atoms of the mist. She was so fair to look on, so radiantly beautiful, so exquisitely voluptuous, that the very instinct of man in me, which caused some of my sex to love and to protect one of hers, made my head whirl with new emotion. But God be thanked, 
the soul wail of my dear Madame Mina had not died out of my ears, and before the spell could be wrought further upon me I had nerved myself to do my wild work. By this time I had searched all the tombs in the chapel, so far as I could tell, and as there had been only three of these undead phantoms around us in the night, I took it there were no more of active undead existent. There was one great tomb, more lordly than all the rest. Huge it was, and nobly proportioned. On it was but one word. Dracula. This, then, was the undead home of the King Vampire, to whom so many more were due. Its emptiness spoke eloquent to make certain what I knew. Before I began to restore these women to their dead selves through my awful work, I laid in Dracula's tomb some of the holy wafer, and so banished him from it, undead forever. Then began my terrible task, and I dreaded it. Had it been but one, it had been easy, comparative. But three, to begin twice more after I had been through a deed of horror. Oh, my friend John. But it was butcher work. Had I not been nerved by thoughts of other dead and of the living over whom hung such a pall of fear, I could not have gone on. I tremble, and tremble even yet, though till all was over, God be thanked, my nerve did stand. Had I not seen the repose in the first place and the gladness that stole over it just ere the final dissolution came, as a realization that the soul had been won, I could not have gone further with my butchery. I could not have endured the horrid screeching as the stake drove home, the plunging of writhing form and lips of bloody foam. I should have fled in terror and left my work undone. But it is over, and the poor souls, I can pity them now and weep as I think of them placid, each in her full sleep of death. For a short moment, her fading... This has been Harper Audio. Harper Collins is the copyright owner of this recording and has consented to a limited distribution of Harper Audio as an 8 kilohertz computer sound file on Internet Town Hall. It is a violation of United States and international copyright laws to copy these recordings in any other way. Harper Audio is a trademark of Harper Collins Publishers, Inc. To order a copy of this tape or to request a catalog of all Harper Audio spoken word cassettes, please call 1-800-C-HARPER or 717-941-1214 or send mail to harper at town.hall.org. This has been a production of the Internet Multicasting Service. Support for Harper Audio is provided by HarperCollins and by Sun Microsystems and O'Reilly & Associates. Network connectivity for the Internet Multicasting Service is provided by UUNet Technologies and MFS Datanet.